0: Again to everyone, I'm Pastor Carl Jr. (laughs) Um, I take that as a compliment. I would not not mind be called that, but I guess I should go ahead and say my thank yous too, since this will be the last time I'll um, speak. And I, uh, I've been coming here for the past. Four years, and uh, I don't want to rate the conferences, but this, this one has been most beneficial to me. Um, just the quality of the messages, not that the, those before were not of quality, but I guess with what I'm going through and where I'm at, I really enjoyed all the messages. Um, I went out this morning looking at the sun, but there's no sunshine, so I couldn't make no application to some of the stuff this morning. Um, it's getting cold. <laughs> um, but again, and I, I'm thankful for the hospitality, and um, part of my wanting to come here has always been apart from the preaching, the fellowship with the believers. And um, that that is still great, and I'm thankful for that, and thank you for everybody, um, Pastor Allen, Pastor Tracy, and I must say again, uh, thanks especially to Pastor Tracy and his folks for making it possible for me to to be here. Um, I don't really miss home. I miss my family. and <laughs> pretty much that about it. Um, I love to be here in Chattanooga, not because of Chattanooga, but because of you guys, and so <laughs> so thanks again to everybody, and thank you very much for giving me an opportunity to talk to you, to, to speak to you. Um, I wasn't planning on, well, as you know, I'm here filling in for Pastor Carl, and again, I take that as a, a great privilege um, to step in for him. Um, he has been, over the years, not just a friend, but a, a mentor. Uh, yesterday, I, before he went in, he called, and we had a little talk, and um, I make sure to tell him, brother, I'm not ready for you to go. And that was not for fun. That was serious. Uh, I can't picture my life without him right now. Um, so let us continue praying for him as he would regain his strength. And if you're listening, brother, I love you. All right, um, what I'm going to do this morning, we had a Young Preachers Conference in Trinidad. Um, It was in August, and we, we didn't plan this, but it just worked out to be that way, and so... Um, I preached from Romans chapter 12 as we were closing off the, the, the conference. And then right after me, Philip came and he preached from Romans chapter 14 and just, you know, make some connection. So we thought, well, let's do that again. And so I'm going to be here introducing what Philip is going to say. <laughs> um, this, uh, the, um, this, this evening. So, I'm not the main guy. He is, alright? I'm just gonna do some introductory stuff to get him going this evening. Alright, everybody okay with that? Alright, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We know the text, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be he transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I'm taking the position here this morning that these two verses is the conclusion of chapters 1 through 11 and the introduction of Romans 12 until the end of the book. That's a position I'm taking. You don't have to agree with that. But that's my position as I see it, as it is laid out structurally here for us. And with that being the case, there is a moral imperative that Paul has in mind that we will see in verse 2. He's going to call us to do something on the basis of what God has already done for us. And his call to us is simply this, present our bodies transformed our minds. And that is on the basis of what he's terming, the mercies of God. And all of that is leading to discerning his will. And Philip will get into that for us. So God has done something. On that basis, there is a call for us to respond. And our response is leading us to the performance, the discernment and the performance of God's will for our lives. So he says, I beseech you. And let us note the word, therefore, for it is... From this word, therefore, I'm arguing that this is a conclusion to something and an introduction to what he has to say to us. So therefore, I'm beseeching you, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies. There is a presentation of the body. But I want us to... See this carefully in our text, because here is where I think we make a lot of mistakes. We come to this text and we start to think of ourselves individually. But I don't think Paul has the individual believer in mind here. Notice what he says. Present your, plural, body's, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. Everybody with me? There is a plural, bodies, singular, sacrifice. What he's calling us to do here, I should say on the front of this, this is not an individual pursuit. It's a community project. It is us, and I guess the arena where this is going to be played out is Probably in our localized assembly, but Paul's idea is that all of us as believers, wherever we are, we are presenting ourselves singular as a sacrifice to God. And so, even though there might be some individual things happening here, Paul is not speaking about an individual pursuit. This is a community project. This is the local church as it best, working out this. And so he says, present your bodies. Obviously, the verbiage that is used here, take into consideration the Old Testament sacrificial system. And he's calling on us not to present body parts or some of us. He's speaking of the totality of our being. All of us. Pour that out, he says. Present our bodies, everything that we have. All that we are, we present it to God, and that He says is as a living sacrifice. Obviously, from the word living, we know that this is something unique, this is not a once and for all type of a sacrifice, it says a living sacrifice. Continuously, every moment, every moment, we are doing this collectively. And that is his demand, that is his call for us as a body of believers. We know that he has again this collective idea in mind when you read on. He talks about in verse 12, sorry, in verse 3, chapter 12, do not think highly of yourselves. Every Christian should use his or her gift selflessly for the benefit of the rest of the church. He talks about love without hypocrisy, despising evil, hold fast to that which is good, devotion to each other in love and giving preference to one another over one's self. Do all things with all diligence as a service to the Lord, rejoicing, praying, enduring in persecution, and everything here is collective. Bless those who persecute you together. Give fellowship. um, Give to fellow believers who have a need and be hospitable to one another. This is a community project. Interestingly, Paul says as we do this, we do it on the basis of what God has done for us. Note I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What is the moral justification for the presentation of our bodies? The mercies of God. All that God has done for us, the mercies of God here, God's multiple acts of kindness towards us. And we see this develop nicely in the book of Romans. You go back from chapter 1 right to chapter 11 and we, we will see what God has done for us. But all of that leads us to chapter 8 where he teaches us, therefore now there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ to those who walk not after the flesh, But after the Spirit, he's not talking to everybody here. He's making a distinction. I know I'm not taking away anything from us, but we love to quote this verse, no condemnation. And again, I don't think any salvific um, term is here. But he's talking about those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You and I know that as Christians, we sometimes walk after the flesh. In fact, our failure to present our body is fleshly and not of the spirit. And then he takes this and he leads this to something that our brother was talking about where he, he brings it to a point where he says, hey, this is what God has been doing to Jesus Christ, bringing us to a point that we can be potential heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. On that basis, because of what God has done and all of these marvelous truths, and there are so many more that we can go back and look at in these chapters, on the basis of this, present your bodies, plural, as a sacrifice, singular, a whole. And then the verse concludes like this. Which is your reasonable service? You go back and you look at these two words, reasonable service. It is clear in the the language that is used here. He's speaking about our rational worship. This is how we worship our God. This is our worship. And he's saying it is rational, it is reasonable. In fact, what Paul is saying to this, this community of believers, when you and I understand the mercies of God, when the mercies of God has, has so radically affect our lives, our only response to the mercy of God is the presentation of our bodies. And he's saying, hey, this is rational. This is, it is just logical that we do it. In fact, Paul is saying there is no other response to the mercies of God than this. No other way, no other means, no other method. This is it. And this is God's demand for us as his children, those whom he would have done so much for. This is our Worship. This is our logical worship. When we understand that, this is how we respond to a holy God. But then, you and I know as we look at verse 2 the greatest threat to a life like this is the world. Thus, he says to us, be not conformed to this world. Obviously, he's not speaking of the cosmos here. This week, from the preaching of really learned to love the cosmos, he's not speaking of that. He's speaking of the age, this present age. And the way the Greeks would understand this, the world, the the age here, it is presented here for us as a system of operation that stands totally in opposition to Christ and his truth. This is something based upon Ephesians chapter 2 that is fed and energized by Satan himself. And at the same time produces thought patterns, behavioral practices, which we today call the philosophy of the age. In the present context, the original readers, they understand this to be, hey, Paul's way of saying to us, rebel against Rome. A system that was mixed with sophistication and yet brutality. Brutality. One which can easily move from civilization and strength and power to that of terror, tyranny, and greed. This was Rome. This was the life that these people knew. This was the system. You see, we come here and we we look at this and... I mean, from where I'm from and the preaching that I've, I've received from this, when we talk about the world and ev- everything then boils down to how you dress and where you go and how long is your hair, and that for us is the, the world. But Paul is not speaking about that. Paul is speaking about a system that you and I need to rebel against. A system of operation that stands against God and righteousness and truth and it is this system, if we do not be careful, that would, uh, that would cause us to forfeit everything that God has for us in the end. Thus he says, do not allow this system to give you your fashion, your shape. I was going to walk with a bucket of water, I forgot it. But when you look at a container and you pour water in a container, whatever shape that container um, whatever shape is the container, that will be the shape of the water, especially if you put it in a freezer and you, you freeze that thing. And I think that is the, the idea here. He's, do not let the wall, the system, give you your distinct shape. In fact, we can... Even argue that this system that he's talking about, this worldly kingdom, the reason for this is because we are not of this system. We are not of this age. We are looking for a different kingdom, a different kind of kingdom. Dwell at what? Brother Philip is gonna talk to you about righteousness, joy, peace in the Holy Ghost. This is not a system of tyranny and terror and greed. Trying to get ahead of somebody else at the expense of their missing out at what God has for them. That was wrong. And that is the system. That is the worldliness that Paul is speaking about. Forgetting a brother behind while we advanced. If we don't agree with one another, that means we cannot be friends. And you will notice that Paul is going to go on and on and on in the book, and he's going to flush out what he's talking about when he says, Do not be like the world. As Christians, we are different because Christ has made us like that, and he has called us to something that is beyond all of us. So that it is not about us, it's about him. That's the presentation of the body. And don't allow the world and worldliness to cause you to miss that. And cause me to miss that. And so he says, hey. We bear, um, Brother John, and we were talking about this um, a while with the wall. And I mean, we know that the scripture talks about submission to the, the, the authorities that be. But it is quite obvious here that. That can't take on the shape that what we are thinking about because Paul is here giving us a cause to rebel against the powers that be. Everything that stands in opposition to God and his truth, he's saying to us, do not allow that to shape you. This, we are not brothers and sisters running for office, like the politicians, We are vying for a reward (laughs) that Christ has already made possible for all of us to receive. But there is a threat to that, it can be forfeited, and selfishness can get in the way of that. And so we got to be careful. And here Paul say to us, rebel against the system, present our bodies, and do not allow the world to shape us. And then he tells us, this can be done by a transformation of the mind. With the world and all that it presents to us. With thought patterns like these and behavioral practices, Paul says then, the thinking is going to have to be renewed, and it is renewed, we know, through the Word of God. And so he says, let our minds then be transformed, our our level of of understanding, our level of, of thinking. Because you and I know that from our thoughts, and the philosophies that runs through our day, which most of the time takes the shape of self-preservation and everything is about self, self-indulgence. Our minds has to be renewed each day. And so he speaks to us about the renewing of our minds. Transformation. But be he transformed by a renewed mind, not conformed but transformed by a renewed mind. And obviously this comes through the word of God and the, the intake of the word of God. If this is true, then the point I want to make to us, truth matters. If the mind is going to be transformed, truth matters. Because that is the arena in which minds are being transformed, renewed. Truth matters. And as I said Sunday, it is is not the knowing of the truth that is only important. But it's the believing of the truth that leads to obedience that is also important. This is not a situation where we are trying to gain all the truth to answer all the questions. This is a situation where we are possessing truth to transform our minds. So let the arguments go. I mean, who cares who wins the argument? It is quite obvious that we all have different views around here. But you know what makes us common? Is the application of truth. You notice when we all apply the truth, the outcome is the same. We can have different views, but when truth is applied, the outcome is always the same. Righteousness, peace, joy. And so, I guess what I want to say is acquire knowledge, but not let knowledge have its way in our lives. And bringing us to the logical conclusion of this, that you and I may prove what is the will of God for our life. And again, I will say that when he talks about the will of God here, he's not merely speaking about whether you and I respond today by being a missionary and all of that stuff. He will tell us what is the will of God that he wants us to discern right here in this text. It is the exercising of our spiritual gifts, chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. It is loving kindness to others in the body of Jesus Christ, chapter 12, 9 to 16. It is non-retaliation against others, chapter 12, 17 to 21. Submitting to governing authorities over us, and again, we understand the context there, 13, 1 to 7, fulfilling the law of love, eighteen three to 10. Moral living in light of the coming Christ or the coming kingdom, 13, 11 to 14. And this this is where Brother Philip is going to pick it up. Receiving brothers who are different from us, 14 to 15. You look at the the, the context and the structure, Paul saying that you may prove what is the will of God. And he's going to say to us, this is the will of God. This is what kingdom living looks like. And this is the way you and I lived our lives. Because we do understand that much is at stake here. Christ wants us to discern that which is good, that which is acceptable, that which is perfect concerning the will of God for our life. Not just truth matters, but the way we live our life also matters to the Lord. And he has laid it out for us in his word. This is how we live. And the way we live goes against everything. It goes contrary to everything that you and I, well, in the, for the original readers, what you are seeing here, along here in Rome. It goes against everything For, we are in this world, but not of the world. We are a community within the community. And there is a perfect will that has to be dishonorable. There is a perfect will that must be flushed out in our daily lives. We look at Christianity today. I look at my own self because it is quite obvious that I'll be lying to say that I have already attained. But if we look at what is happening within Christianity today. And I think everything can be best described with this single word, self. And not Christ. And that seems to be the goal, self. how different we are than the Apostle Paul for me to live he says Christ why? because dying is gain so I would give it all up not for self but for the excellency of Jesus Christ. That I will know him. You read Philippians and everything is about Christ. Even when he would explain it, he would show us people like Timothy and Epaphroditus and he would say, look at these guys. I have no other person like-minded who will naturally care for you because Everybody else seek their own and not the things of Christ. Look at Epaphroditus. He would risk his life. Not for self. Christ, look at me. now willing to be poured out. And everything is about Christ. And then I look at Willis, and I struggle with that. And yet, it is my intention to get everything that the Apostle Paul God will get in the end. And I guess I have to laugh at myself because how can that be possible? We want to gain it all. But we do not want to lose ourselves. And that was not the teaching of Christ. In fact, he presented a different way. Those who would gain it all In the age to come are those who are prepared to lose it all. And it was not merely your car (laughs) or our wallets. It was ourselves. Self. So that, in the end, We here, well done. When I was, before Bible college, I went to a, sac, a secular college and I wanted to be uh, agronomist. And they would give an award at the end of the two years. They call that award the most outstanding student. I'm pretty much by nature success-oriented. And they would announce that fourth day of school. After two years, one of you would be named most outstanding student. And I say... That's me. I'm going to get that. And I really tried to, go, to do it. But what happened? The grades were there. But because of financial constraint, I didn't show up to school every day. I showed up when I got the money. academically, I will stop. But they say, you know what? You can't get that. Because whereas you had grades and you had attitude, the records show that you were not punctual at times. And there are some days you didn't even show up. And so the guy who had the second best grade, but he had all the punctuality and he had all the attendance, he got it. And in my mind, I was saying, is there an award for second? I mean, the least you can do is just give me at least a pen. (laughs) Second place. I mean, (laughs) and they said, there's no, there's nothing for second place. You're either going to win. And what that meant for me was, this guy, he came first, and the rest of us, thirty-one of us, you all are a bunch of losers. Last. You know when you go in the record book, you're not gonna see Willis came second. One guy came first, and everybody else, you're grouped together. Paul told the Corinthians, "Run, that you may what." Obtain, and by obtain he means win. For there will not be a second. You're either going to win it all or forfeit it all. And I'll be honest with you. There is not a single day I do not think about the prospect Of losing it all. There was a time I thought, man, I'm sure I'll win this. I mean, (laughs) I thought the walk was getting safe, and that's that was how they preached it to me, and that's how I heard it. And so, I'm sure. But I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you guys and the reality is is true from the word of God. I can be disqualified. And as I look at these two verses this morning, I really see that part of that can be my standing in the way of trying to preserve self and indulge self at the expense of giving it all for Christ that's my challenge to us this morning that we will give it all to Christ that we will win in the end Father we thank you for your word may you help us may you store us to live our lives so that we'll be approved of Jesus Christ. You know what the limitations and the struggles, we bring them to you today and ask, oh God, that you would help us, you would guide us, to apply the truth of your word and to allow it to radically impact our lives for your honor, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.